welcome to the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing's podcast, The Wellbeing Connector, where through our guests, we explore ideas for making healthcare a better place to work and serve. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. Amira Mansfield. Amira serves as the Vice President and Chief Medical Officer for Avent Health Apaca, and she's also the Chief Medical Officer for the Physician's Experience of the Central Florida Division of Avent Health. She is board certified by the American Board of Emergency Medicine and is a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians. Dr. Mansfield completed her medical degree and master's in healthcare administration at the University of Florida and her emergency medicine residency at Carolina's Medical Center in North Carolina. Thank you, Amira, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So I know you're a practicing physician and you're a chief medical officer, but you also have a role related to physician experience. Can you tell me about that role, what you're doing in that role? Absolutely. So I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to be in the space that we've defined as physician experience within the Central Florida Division of Advent Health. What that means really is a focus on exactly what it says, which is the experience that our physicians have as they are members <clears throat> of our Advent Health community. Now, sometimes we'll talk about physician well-being, and that's something that I think is very prominent these days, and just the well-being of our workforce in general. But the way that we like to classify it more as the experiences, there's a lot that goes into well-being, and well-being is a component of the experience that our colleagues, our physicians have when they practice at Advent Health. So we think about what does experience mean to you? It could really be anything from what is it like to come to work? What's it like to experience your day? How do people interact with you? What's your experience with our medical record system? How do people communicate? But also what's it like when you're at home? How are you communicated with? What's it like to onboard? So really all of those factors and influences that someone can actually have throughout the course of being on the medical staff for Advent Health. We sincerely believe that there is a part of that that is someone's individual well-being, and we need to cater to that, nurture it, and provide resources for them and for their families. But also, that's that's probably about, let's say, 10 to 20% of someone's life. The other percent is, what is it like to actually work within our company? So that's the facet that I get to care for and try to be strategic about in developing programs to create a better, more seamless experience for our physicians within the Central Florida Division. So as you said, it includes well-being, so I assume you have some well-being initiatives, and then it's a little more broad than that, as you, as you described it. What are some of the initiatives that um, you, you are involved with that a typical well-being program might not be involved in? Yeah, absolutely. So well-being is a core component, and I think we're very fortunate that we've been able to also leverage some of the well-being strategies that have already been in place for our employees in general. So I think taking a step back, I think it's useful to see that historically, at least this, this has been my experience in the healthcare system, and this is my 22nd year in healthcare, we often silo physicians apart. So we'll have these phenomenal programs available to what we call team members or employees, but because our medical staff is a hybrid medical staff of both private and employed physicians. We sometimes forget about this group, right? And I'm in this group. I'm I'm married to another physician, so he is in this group. And so the idea was to say, how do we actually, when we talk about that medical team, make sure that we're not siloing physicians. So one of the places that we started was identifying that we have some pretty robust well-being offerings 
things like availability for uh, employee assistance when when something bad happens. We have a very developed uh, Center for Physician Wellbeing, which really provides some phenomenal mental health resources for physicians, counseling services, mental health counseling. And that's been something that we've had available for some time. And what I love about this particular center is we don't focus just on the physician, but we understand that there are dynamics in their household with spouse or with children, and those resources are available for them as well. We also want to make sure that we're nurturing the mental health component, but also the physical health component. So we've recently expanded offerings to try to have physicians have resources available to just have a normal physical. It's kind of embarrassing sometimes to think and or talk to friends or even consider myself to say, when was the last time I actually had a real physical? So once we identified that basic necessity, something something that we all encourage our own patients to do, we made it available to, for our physicians to have a nice physical uh, exam set up, something where they can do more of an executive health assessment and provide that for them actually free of charge uh, to make sure that they're caring for themselves. Because I think that's also what we need to do is to model the behavior. We realize that being being part of society, being part of a community also caters to well-being. So we've recently also tried to be more strategic about making sure that there are offerings where physicians can actually have good community with each other. Make sure that there are events where they can literally just develop strong relationships with each other and include their family as well. Those are just a few examples of some of the well-being offerings that we've been trying to do strategically, understanding that there are so many core components that go into well-being, the physical part, the mental part, the psychological part, um, certainly the spiritual part as well, and the emotional part, and identifying that there is not a one-size-fits-all strategy, but we want to make sure that we're having opportunities across the board for everybody. And what's been the response from your physician community to these initiatives? It's been very good so far. You know, I think one of the greatest opportunities we identified is that a lot of times, actually, our docs didn't even know what we had available. So it was great to set up some programs um, and if we didn't see a robust response, what I, what I identified pretty easily was, how are we communicating this information? How are we communicating these offerings? Do we really want to wait until someone's actually in more of a crisis situation for them, them to then become aware of what's out there? But we've been able to create a more seamless approach to getting the communication out there through our physician leadership and making sure that we have a cascade of the information across our markets and across our campuses. And I think now that we've gotten more of the word out there, the response has been pretty tremendous. You know, sometimes it, people can be skeptical. You know, what, what are the motivations behind some of these offerings? Why are you doing this for me? But over time, and, and I've been in this space now for about a year and a half, two years formally in this role, it's really been demonstrating that I sincerely want people to feel cared for because I know that if we care for our physicians, and truly invest in this piece of them, which is their experience and their personal well-being, this will then provide dividends in the outcomes of our patients. Are you seeing results like that already? I wish I could say that I have something that's evidence-based, um, but there's no study that I can say I've done to say, hey, this happened here and then that there, there are these results there. I think what we are seeing is that our, our physicians have really gone through a lot, just like everybody else in healthcare in the last two years but they're here. They're still showing up to work. They're still having the right attitude. And I think just getting through the last two years as a team, to me, is a result of that work. Um, we've seen this great resignation across the rest of the country, and yet our medical staff still shows up, uh, still shows up with the right attitude and really, I think, doing what's in the best interest of our patients. So for me, that's the personal outcome 
that I can identify to say, I think that what we're doing is working because people are still here and providing great care. Yeah, I mean, that's not a research study. That's still has some, that's some reasonable good evidence as well. Yeah, I, I would have to agree because I, you know, I've got colleagues across the country who they're struggling with this. They're having great turnover in their medical staff. Um, they're seeing opportunities. They're seeing physicians in crisis. So I'm very grateful to know that I have at least a safety net that I can offer to physicians if they're in a position of crisis. But also, I want to keep them in that space of resilience, that space where they're they are caring for themselves. They are finding time to reflect, to regroup, to rest, and to recover. Um, and so I think that that's really part of the benefit of what we're seeing now. And it sounds like you're also making enough, having enough success that you're recognized by the senior leadership as well. Uh, is that true? Are you making, uh, are you finding it easy to make the case for the type of work you're doing? You know, I, I, I believe so. I think we can always see, we could always do with more. We have a very large medical staff that we serve. And so just like I'm sure everybody else in every space with every project these days in healthcare you have to continue to demonstrate the necessity. You know, there, thankfully, there is a robust amount of literature out there uh, put out by different academic institutions. I think, for example, of Stanford is one of the uh, one of the the pioneers in this space who really put, continues to put out the evidence based literature demonstrating why this is so important. And so, it's also useful to not just make the case, but to have the data behind it. Um, but I think. Seeing the engagement from medical staff, seeing the quality outcomes that they deliver, because there is a direct relationship to the work that we're doing and, and clear-cut quality measures like decreased patient medical errors, uh, decreased mortality, decreased length of stay. So I think that we have to keep in mind that this alone is not an isolated measure, that we want to look at it cohesively. Um, and so I, I, what I have witnessed has been that we have a mentality of that whole person care. Our senior leaders are 100% bought into that. And especially with the idea that that whole person care cannot be limited only to our patients, but also to all of our team, which again includes our physicians. So this is wonderful work. Uh, don't mind my asking, how did you get into this type of work? That's a really good question. So the reality is about 10 years ago, um, I started to, to, see, to see the trend that was coming. I'm an emergency medicine physician. My husband is an anesthesiologist. And it's, it became very striking to me to see some of the stressors that my colleagues were experiencing. It fascinated me, some of the regulatory changes that would be implemented, some of the, the just general bureaucracy that we would see with no input at all from physicians or physician leaders. And so my, my eye was caught to this. And then I started to follow the burnout rates and the rates of suicide. And I became troubled seeing the fact that the highest levels of burnouts was reportedly uh, the highest consistently year over year in emergency medicine physicians. And the highest rate of suicidality pretty consistently year over year was in male anesthesiologists. And then we had our first child. And I remember thinking that she deserves two healthy parents who like their jobs, who want to go back to their jobs, and who can be good parents when they come home. And it was honestly my kids that made me start to think about how am I going to maintain longevity? I love my job, but I also won't sacrifice being a good mom for my job. And that really was the space that made me say, if I do something more proactively that I can actually maybe create a positive change in, this will make me feel better about the work that I'm doing, staying in my profession, my husband staying in his, 
and my children only benefiting from that. So honestly, my children are my inspiration. Wonderful. And as you got involved in this work and learned more about resiliency, well-being, and things of that nature, how has that affected you as a uh, practicing clinician? Oh, it's made all the difference. Um, I think that's actually why I'm still in, in, in the space that I'm in. And it's really, so I, I really got into this space when I was 100% practicing emergency medicine, really not in any kind of, kind of administrative space. And I love that. I love that in the ED, I can you know care for one patient, but in caring for that one patient and doing it well, I can also hopefully provide good care for their family, which is to the benefit of their community. And that's a ripple effect. Having the opportunity to move into the administrative space has really allowed me to see more strategically to say, if I can do this work, benefit 10 or 20 or 30 physicians, and similarly their families and their community, I love that ripple effect. Um, but it's always fun when I go back and do my shifts, because I still do a few a month, and experience firsthand the reality of what it is to still practice in the ED, especially during covid um, I am seeing that there is a, a tremendous benefit to this. It has definitely changed my mentality and uh, how I approach my my day. I try to be very much uh, very thoughtful about what are my interactions with my nursing colleagues, my colleague physicians, my patients, and and then what can I take back to make better for the next time? Not so much for me, but for my colleagues who are going in every single day into this space. You know, we have this very basic approach. There's lofty work to be done, but you can't boil the ocean. So uh, one of the common phrases that we'll use here is, you know, what are the rocks in your shoes? Because if I can take out the rocks in your shoes, it doesn't matter if I can do something lofty. If those rocks are still there, you're still uncomfortable every single day doing the work that you, that you do. So going in and practicing with that mentality of what are the rocks in my shoes? What are the rocks in my colleague's shoes? What are the rocks that the nurses are even experiencing? Because we all have them. And what can we do with intentionality to tar- start to remove one rock at a time? Because that's also where people start to realize that you're motivated for the good. You really are there truly to make their space better. Um, and that's really changed my practice approach significantly because you're not just there with the mindset of, I have to get through this shift. You know, I want to, I want to take really good care of my patients. But also, how do I do all that and see where are the rocks in people's shoes? Is it ever a challenge to figure out which rock to uh, remove first if there are too many rocks around? Definitely. And and certainly people have competing interests. Um, I think sometimes it's important to identify that sometimes you just need some quick wins, right? Because it's not, that's going to get you some buy-in from people saying, wait, they're listening. Someone heard me and someone did something about it. Because there are some rocks that are just going to take longer, that are going to require more work, more focus, maybe more information or more funding, but you got to start somewhere. So to begin with, we started to say, you know, from a grassroots level across all of our campuses, how do we start to get more buy-in, make a difference and demonstrate positive motivation? And that was really addressing what we would call low-hanging fruit, whether that's, you know, ergonomic mats in the ORs for people to stand for longer periods of time and not go home feeling pretty miserable physically, um, or getting better uh, uh, mice for people's computers, whatever it was that might seem like a very small thing, but it becomes a big thing if someone is having to deal with it for 8, 10, and 12 hours a day. So that helped me start to say, where, where do I begin? Because in the end, this is, this is not something that we're going to fix overnight. This is really a process of culture change 
a change in mentality. And this is going to be a five-year journey. And I could see how you could uh, appreciate some of the rocks that you experience when you go into practice. But for example, the getting mats for the surgeons to uh, stand on is something that can go on for years without anyone really even noticing it needs to change. It's kind of those quick wins once you kind of recognize the problem. How do you recognize those types of problems? So it's really critical to understand that this is where leveraging the voice of our other physician leaders has been paramount to any kind of success. So we have been able to identify at each of our campuses across our division what we call physician champions. Now, this is someone that may have a formal leadership title. They may have an informal leadership role, but we know that as just being physicians, you're seen as a leader by simply donning your white coat. So we've, we've asked all of our campus executives, along with our physician uh, leaders, to help identify a physician champion who really has a passion for this space. Because passion you can't teach. I can teach other things, but I can't teach passion. And so we've been able to identify these physician champions, these physician leaders at each of the campuses and have asked them to say, hey, make this a standing agenda item at your medical staff meetings. Literally, if you want to just ask, hey, tell me about some of the rocks in your shoes. Because if you're a leader at that campus, people will tell you. Uh, I may be an unknown entity across some of our campuses, and that's fine. I don't really need to be at each of the campuses. But having the right leaders at each of those campuses to really identify and elevate those opportunities has been critical to understand Understand at the campus level and then at the department level, where are the opportunities? What can we fix locally? What do we need to fix more systemically? Have you had any particular project that kind of stands out for you that warms your heart of ones you're particularly proud of? I do, actually. And it may be one that seems... Um, soft, but it's been really remarkable to see the benefits. So we have a, a, a diverse list of opportunities that were identified uh, within this space that we wanted to focus on. And one thing I'm very proud of is that all of the projects that we've identified to focus on, to even put on our list to accomplish over the next several years, these were actually all identified by physicians as opportunities. This was not something that someone externally came and said, hey, you should fix this or do that. So I'm very proud that our work is physician-generated and physician-led, and that's something that I really hold true to. So when we went to some of our physician leaders to ask for some opportunities with the experience work, we got this really extensive list, and honestly, it was overwhelming. So I went back to this group of physician leaders, we call them our advisory, and said, okay, we have this large list. If you could pick just three things that I could focus on over the next year, what would they be? And interestingly, one of the top three that came up was the opportunity for more consistent recognition. The docs shared that it's more likely that they would get a phone call about the one thing that they could have done better than to hear about the 10 or 20 exceptional things they did that same day. We have a really nice process for recognizing our team members throughout the course of the year. But for our medical staff, we identified that there was this one singular time at the end of the year at a dinner that we could recognize a handful of physicians. And we have thousands of physicians. So they said, we want, we want a recognition program. And so they came together. We actually got together a group of physician leaders and said, okay, this was this bubble to the top. How would you go about it? So in Advent Health, we have four service standards that we believe that all of our team members should exhibit. But we also understand that we shouldn't just care for our patients through the lens of these service standards. This is also how we should care for each other the team, the physicians, everybody. 
their love me, keep me safe, own it, and make it easy. So the physicians decided, let's let's do a recognition award for physicians through the lens of our service standards that anybody can nominate a physician for. Can you say those again? What are the what are those four standards again? Sure, they're love me, keep me safe, own it, and make it easy. This is how we want to care for our patients. We want to demonstrate that we love them. We'll do everything we can to keep them safe. When there's an opportunity to fix a process, we're going to own it, and and we're gonna we're gonna make make this whole process very easy for them, or as easy as possible. So the physicians identified this as the recognition award, and it's the simplicity is what I love about it. It's literally a QR code that anybody can scan if they see one of our physicians exhibiting one of these service standards. But here's what I love, love, love about what the docs did. They didn't just come up with a, a, an award. It's, it's a pin, a pin that says Advent Health that is awarded to a physician. And we make a big deal about it. All of the campus executives were on board. I went and spoke to each of them and said, hey, the docs came up with this. We really want to roll this out. All I'm asking for you is to make a big deal when a physician gets recognized. But the physicians went one step further. So when a physician is awarded this, he doesn't just get one pin or she doesn't just get one pin. They actually get two pins, one to keep for themselves. But that second one, they are then tasked with finding a colleague, another physician, who has similarly exhibited those four service standards, and they have to present it to them. So we had this pay it forward effect. And what I'm, I'm really proud of is in a matter of the first five months, every campus, uh, I believe it was 17 campuses at that time, had actually had physicians nominated for these awards. They had been celebrated. And I think today we're up to about 800 physicians in, in about 10 months that have been recognized. And, and you think, okay, well, that's kind of nice. So I got to actually award one of these to one of my physicians. And what, what got me, and, and he absolutely was so worthy, um, he broke down crying at, the, at receiving this award, which we did in a public forum at one of our medical staff dinners. And, and I was surprised by his response. And he said, I don't think anybody ever noticed. And it just, it overwhelmed me because he's been practicing here for forever. And I'm thinking this, this was the missing piece. Um, so we're really, really proud of, of what has taken off here. And, and it's just nice because I have this database. I share it with all of the uh, CMOs for all of the campuses and the CEOs so that they know who's been recognized at the different campuses. And just the, the variety of physicians across service lines, uh, day shift, night shift, um, it's been remarkable uh, to see the buy-in and then the response from the physicians who've received this to say, someone noticed. That's not why we go into healthcare by any means, but I think it really is just so telling that sometimes we just want people to realize like we really are doing this for the right reasons and it's just nice to be recognized. That's wonderful. That must be so gratifying. It really is. And and we're hoping to take this across the entire company. So to me, that is that is our goal is to build programs here at the local level, prove the value, refine them at our division level. And Advent Health as a company being so large, we have such a wonderful opportunity to disseminate. And so that really is the next step with this recognition program is how do we take this actually company wide? Because 
we should certainly not be holding on to something like this just here locally. So that's that's truly exciting that that's the next step. Very nice. Now, I know also next month you're going to be speaking at the coalition's annual meeting. Actually, I'm not sure when this podcast will be released. But can you tell me a little bit about what you'll be speaking about? Absolutely. So I have the pleasure of having co-authored a book and a workshop um, with my, my colleague. His name is Roy Reed. Uh, Roy has spent um, his career in public relations and communications. And we've developed this workshop called The Trust Transformation. And this workshop is intended to help people really define and understand the role that trust plays in building strong, healthy relationships that last and that 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 you want to nurture. So Roy and I actually were um, very lucky to have presented the same material at a well-being workshop a few years ago, got a great response. So we're asked to come to the coalition to do a similar type of workshop to share these base, basic components because we know that these strong, trusting relationships are so core to our ability as human beings to thrive. And I think COVID has uh, had really created a, a disconnect for a lot of people. It's remarkable to see some of the latest studies on the number of people who feel lonely, which is fascinating considering how many, uh, I think, the general the community believes at large that we're all connected because of social media. But really, it's about getting down to these really authentic relationships, helping people combat the loneliness, especially that people experience in healthcare because of the particular insult that healthcare experienced in the last year or two. Um, so we're really excited to go to the coalition, share these, this workshop um, and all of the learnings and opportunities that we have personally seen in our own lives. And in, we've taught this now for a number of years um, and, and just the feedback has been tremendous. And I think the other opportunity uh, is because the coalition really tends to attract people who are leaders in this space. And we know that in leadership specifically, when we look at like the Edelman Trust Barometer, distrust is a major issue plaguing society today. You know, in 2022, the Edelman Trust Barometer actually said that the number one reported statement, over 60% of respondents, and this was like 36,000 people who were surveyed, said that distrust is the default emotion today in society. And that's really problematic. When you think about what that means, especially in healthcare, especially as it relates to people able to have fulfilling lives, if at the root of everything we are distrustful, that's an impediment to growth and to, to thriving. So that's really the framework that we're, we're going to be presenting um, and I'm truly excited for the opportunity. Wow, that sounds fascinating. It sounds wonderful. Um, we're close to the end of our half hour. I wanted to know, do you have any uh, closing thoughts or reflections you'd like to share? Sure. I, I think one of the things that I like to, to just comment on is, you know, there are words that get thrown around sometimes. You know, burnout, I think all you have to do is open any article, <laughs> go to most websites. And, and that's the hot topic today is burnout, uh, turnover and just this crisis. But I think that, you know, one of the things that's fascinated me, if, if you actually look up the Chinese uh, picture, the symbols that represent the word crisis in the Chinese language, it's actually two images. And one is for disaster or danger, and the other image is opportunity. And, and so I like to just reframe to say, yes, arguably, I'm with you. This is, this is a challenging time in healthcare. But why don't we view this crisis, if we're going to use that word, and decide intentionally that we're going to create an opportunity? But that requires work. 
and that requires focus and strategy. And so when we think about where do we start, rather than feeling despair, how do we start to do the work? It starts with the little things. It starts with the rocks in your shoes. It starts with the focus on relationships. And and I will tell you that personally, that is what has gotten me through the last few years of some really challenging times. That's also what inspires me to keep doing this work, despite it seeming rather large. Um, And so I just ask people to think about with the words that they use and the words they choose to describe, that's fine. But think about what are you going to do with that? How are you going to reframe and actually move forward and do something about it? Wonderful. Well, with that, I want to thank you very much for joining us today and being part of the podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you, Michael, so much for having me. It's truly been my pleasure. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank Dr. Omira Mansfield for joining us today and for sharing both her insights and personal stories. If you wish, you can contact Dr. Mansfield through her email of omira.mansfield.md at avidhealth.com. If you wish to learn more about the Coalition, please visit our website at www.4physicianwellbeing.org. You can also check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. I also want to thank our volunteers and the staff from the Coalition who made this podcast possible. Finally, I'd like to thank ACESIS, A-C-E-S-I-S, Incorporated, for sponsoring my time working on this podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and his guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Coalition for Physician Wellbeing, its board, or other members of the Coalition. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Brown, wishing our caregivers out there meaning, purpose, and joy in the practice of medicine. Together we are stronger. Until next time.